out the oven. It's Cinema Bums. I'm Wade. And I'm Emmett. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today we are continuing our miniseries, The House Bummy, covering every film written by Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith. We will fully spoil today's film, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Emmett, how are you doing? I am doing very well today. This was a wild ride of a movie. Wade, how are you doing? I'm doing good, very good. Particularly good because today we're honored to have a special guest. She's a great playwright, improv comedian, cat lover, joining us all the way from the kingdom of Frell. Please welcome Callie Derryberry. How's it going, Callie? It's pretty good. I'm really excited to talk about this movie with some other people. (laughs) So today we are talking about Ella Enchanted, written by McCullough and Smith, who we've been doing this whole series on. Also wrote 10 Things I Hate About You, Legally Blonde, She's the Man, The House Bunny, The Ugly Truth. What is your history with those, Callie? Have you seen any of the others? Um, I mean, I've I've seen Legally Blonde a bajillion times, and I've seen <laughs> Ten Things I Hate About You like once or twice. Mm-hmm. Did you grow up watching Ella Enchanted? Or yes, I've seen this movie a lot of times. I watched this movie a lot as a kid. I also read the book at one point. Okay, I don't remember too much of it because I was like nine or ten or something. But it's very different because it's like pretty focused on like her being forced to do everything it's not it's not as much fun it's like just like her being Mm. forced to do things and like also her friend i think is a more important part of it Mm. yeah yeah you think that her friend is going to be a part of this movie (laughs) for the first 15 minutes and then she just waves at her at the end and you're like everything's good i guess yeah um, what about you, Emmett? Have you seen this movie before, read the book? As I watched this movie, it seemed like I had seen parts of it before. I have read the book, but it was a long time ago. So I And I also remember the book being pretty different. And according to the brief wikipedia that I did on this, it is true the author of the book has said that they should be regarded as almost completely different creative acts. <laughs> so um so there's there's a little something to chew on wait how about you had you seen seen it before i had no real history i remember it coming out i would have been like 10 when it came out so i like knew what it was but going in i really only knew that it had anna hathaway that she had to like do everything people told her Uh and that they sang don't go breaking my heart at the end oh okay I almost used that for a play I was writing. And then someone was like, oh, you've written the end of Ella Enchanted. (laughs) And I went and watched it. I thought for like years that that song was from Ella Enchanted. I didn't know. And I thought that's why everyone knew it. Because they've just seen Ella Enchanted. That brings up an interesting question. (laughs) Because they never really say that they, like, is there Queen and Elton John within this world? Because there are musical numbers in the film, but they're all diegetic. Like, they are all within the world. They have rehearsed and are performing these musical numbers. So. But they're also all popular songs that people already know. 
Yeah. Very strange. There's a lot of things, there's a lot of questions that I have about this kingdom of Frell. Yes. <laughs> but I don't even know where to begin, frankly. Well, let's begin with the stats. Okay. The most exciting place. Ellen Chanted, this movie was directed by Tommy O'Haver. Hadn't directed anything else that I had ever heard of, but his film before this from 2001 was called Get Over It. Uh, it had Kirsten Dunst and it was a modern high school adaptation of A Midsummer's Night's Dream. It sounds like similarly stylistic in terms of like adaptation, but also high school, but also weirdly large stars in it. Yeah, I haven't seen that, but it made sense why he would get this after that. Didn't really get anything else after this, so. I wonder why. (laughs) Lots of credited writers on this, so I'm going to break them all down. This is the only movie of the six that has any other credited writers beyond Mikola and Smith. But I will go draft by draft. The first draft was written by Laurie Craig, uh, who has written other kids' movies, including Polly which is a talking parrot movie and Ramona and Beezus. Then the second draft is Mikola and Smith this is their third movie together. And then the third draft, which came after is by Jennifer Heath and Michelle J. Wolf, um, who are like two sitcom writers. And this is both of their only credited screenplay. So I can't really hard to compare sort of what was from McCullough and Smith versus the other writers because there isn't a lot to go off. But I will just say that it's a great relief to me as somebody who has built a respect for McCullough and Smith over the past two films that there are other people to blame for the travesty of storytelling that's happening in this film. I think you can tell based on like basically everything about this movie that they were trying to do Shrek again. They were trying to like, you know, ride that wave off of Shrek. Yeah. That's what I said after. I was like, this, this movie is many things, but one of them is a live action Shrek. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense for me with Mikola and Smith with like legally blondes and 10 things, both being like kind of irreverent witty in some ways that you would go to them for like an attitude fantasy attitude sort of thing well and i mean it also does the shrek thing of like having you know pop musical numbers just kind of in there there are some things about the world that are kind of shrek like like they've got the wooden escalator i love the wooden escalator i think that's so weird so funny (laughs) such an odd detail them having the taxi cab like the yellow cab horse-drawn oh, carriage right. and there's a point where the snake smashes the thing and then the red guards come in like a fire alarm button just like lots of weird <laughs> don't get me started on the red guard we're gonna talk okay. about the red okay guard i mean i want to talk about the red <laughs> guard can we talk about wait can we talk right now about how ryan johnson is a hack and how he stole them directly for the throne room scene in uh that he stole that whole sequence of the throne room scene which i used to like from last jedi directly from this movie the, the only good scene in this movie ryan johnson went and, and stole it for last jedi you know that is really kind of true as i'm thinking about it it is like the two heroes are at odds and then he turns against his evil master to wow 
Yeah, but know. do they do cool kickflips off of benches? No. That stuff is so cool. Wait, I was in the middle of texting you about how wild the movie was and how I didn't believe like everything that was happening when they popped out and was like, no way. I can't. I literally cannot comprehend that I'm seeing this right now. <laughs> it's also, it's just like such an odd turn in terms of like, you know, the movie definitely rides that line of like trying to be fairy tale, but also trying to be modern. But like most of the plot stuff is like fairy tale stuff. But then mm. that plot point is just like, no, we're going to have a secret police. Like, it's just very modern and odd. <laughs> like, what? Okay. Yeah. You're, you were clearly, you were like, we need something. We just need to get the, like, this needs to be done now. 30 minutes before the end, the snake just has a one-off line where he's like, well, we could just call in the Red Guard and take over the kingdom. And I was like, oh, the Red <laughs> <Yeah>. Guard, <laughs> tell me more. And then when they come in at the end, I was so excited. My second favorite, well, my first favorite thing about the Red Guard is everything. But my second favorite thing (laughs) is, like, comparing them to, like, how absolutely useless all of their regular guards are. Like, they're, like, guards can't even stop, like, all of these, like, you know, crazy teen fans from, like, chasing after him. Like, every other, like, guard in the movie, they, like, basically just, like, look at him funny, and then he, like, falls over. And then you have these, like, crazy-ass secret police at the end. (laughs) It's like, what? Why are they the people? ninja police? (laughs) Yes, they are ninjas. That's a very Star Wars thing, too, Emmett, where, like... The regular stormtroopers will not do anything. Like, they are just there to get killed. But then, and then you always have the death troopers. Death troopers. They're still pretty bad, but they look cool. <laughs> this was, okay, as, as you both mentioned, this was adapted from the 1997 novel, Ella Enchanted, by Gail Carson Levine. She went on to publish two more books in 2006, Fairest, which is a sequel to this taking on the Snow White story. Mm. And then in 2018, Ogre Enchanted, which is a prequel. Okay, well, that's Shrek. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting that she both anticipates and then does a hack job on Shrek, the same author. The score is by Nick Glennie Smith, who also did the music for The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. Dishonor. Disgrace. Disgrace. I'm very happy that we're at the point in the podcast where with the composers, I can just look at what movies we have already covered that they have done. Running one hour and 36 minutes, released April 9th, 2004 by Miramax. Uh, Unfortunately, old Harvey in the credits once again after all the Scream movies. A budget of $35 million, which is kind of shocking to me considering how much effects are in this movie. But made for $35 million, uh, and unfortunately, the box office of $24 million. Damn. Although I have, growing up, never heard a bad word about this movie. At the time it came out, it was a box office failure and very mixed critically with most most of the critics talking about not liking the silly tone and it being so different from the book Mm. but that was the time so we're going to talk about it today Emmett how would you describe Ella Enchanted to anyone who hasn't seen it all right (laughs) 
So the, I don't even know. The first thing you have to know about this movie is that it's narrated in a in a bizarre framing device by a member of the Monty Python troupe, Eric Idle. And so that's just a thing that is happening. And he tells us that when Ella was a young girl, she was kind of cursed by a fairy godmother um, who gave her a gift, like a bad gift. And the gift was the gift of obedience so that she had to do whatever anybody told her always. Basically, everyone in her life has this sort of hellish level of control over her at all times. <laughs> then she's she grows up in a very quick montage. She becomes Anne Hathaway. Her mom dies. Her dad remarries. There's an evil stepmother and two evil stepsisters. You know, this this sort of story. And they eventually they realize that she has this curse on her where she has to be obedient. They take great advantage of it first, like taking her things, taking the best room, making her do all the work. Finally, she decides to run away. Is this is that what happens? She runs away because everything is so awful. Or is she going to look she's for her, go. no, she's going to look for her fairy godmother to try and get because she knows only her fairy godmother can revoke the wish um, or revoke the, the charm that's on her, supposedly. Uh, so she goes on this adventure well, aided by she has a fairy godmother at home. Oh, this is one of the choices <laughs> about which I have so many questions. She has a fairy godmother at home, but she's only a household fairy. She only does simple things. So she gives her her boyfriend who's in a book, which we're not even I don't even want to address the guy in the book. He's like doing a weird C-3PO impersonation the whole time. And I was like, is that because he's in a book? And then he comes out of the book at the end and he's still doing it. So I don't, just don't know what that guy's deal is. And then she's going through the woods. She meets an elf named Slannon, who I thought at first was doing a weird ass accent for this movie. Then come to find out the actor is actually from Ireland. So he wasn't doing a weird Irish accent. I've just heard so many weird Irish accents in movies (laughs) that I don't know what a real one sounds like. So isn't that crazy? His fake elf ears are so fake. <laughs> it's really odd because I feel like a lot of the uh, effects, are, are, they are, you know, they're not distracting. Like, I feel like overall the movie looked pretty good, except for like the whole time he's on screen. I'm like, I can see like they're two different colors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's an elf who doesn't want to sing. And this is cribbed from that old 1960s Christmas movie that we all love so well, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, where there's the little Christmas elf who just wants to be a dentist. This little elf just wants to be a lawyer. But it's another boring job for another misfit elf. Wow. Poor Slannon. He really gets the short end of the stick throughout this film, except when he gets to meet no pun intended. giant Heidi Klum. That part, I don't think. I feel like he's doing okay at the end of this film, but I feel like the I'm getting ahead of myself. Heidi here. Klum is so funny. It's so weird. <laughs> he is also like, look, I'm not here. I'm not trying to shame anyone, but he, his whole body is presented as being the size of basically her lips. So, like, how are they going to kiss? What is their romantic relationship going to look like? I just would like to know. It's also, it is just <laughs> Donkey and the Dragon from Shadow. Yes. Oh. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, duh. It is. Damn. Maybe cut this part for the real, for the real freaks out there. Who's sexier? Giant Heidi Klum? Or sexy dragon <laughs> from Shrek. <laughs> well, in Shrek, you get to see like the little donkey 
dragon babies mm-hmm. do you think it would just be like a medium height person yeah they would just a have a person who was a normal height <laughs> if... i don't even because it's just she's like so larger in proportion right like so uh-huh. would it be like a i feel like it would be like they'd still be taller and yeah. like just larger yeah it would be like someone who is like 15 feet tall instead of like 50 feet tall yeah <laughs> Like, it's, it's very much like a giant, and like, you know, he comes up to, like, her, like, maybe shin. Yeah, he's going to need a ladder. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so moving on from the uh, from the bit about Slannon. Uh, so she goes on an adventure. She's looking for her fairy godmother. As she's, she's in the woods, they get attacked by ogres. Turns out that she has godlike uh, martial arts skills because if she's told to do something, she just does it. So when the elf, when Slandon is like narrating all of these different like crazy ass attacks, she's just like doing them with ease and just managed to whoop up on three massive uh, trolls or ogres or whatever they are. So that's pretty cool. And then she saves the prince's bacon from the ogres. The prince saves her from ogres. Uh well, whatever. I I, I don't like that, that part. We and then we have the part where they go on the um, the tour of his country, and she shows him how unequal it is, and how his how his uncle is <laughs> and is exploiting all of the magical peoples throughout the country. And there's this whole subplot about like the politics of, of Frell, how there's been this legislation that says only humans are really human. Which I think is like most of the plot of the book, right? Yeah, I feel yeah. like the plot of the book mm. was like based around that. Yeah. She's like, no elves and giants and maybe ogres. We're we're still kind of figuring out how we feel about the ogres or people too. And then <laughs> I don't know what the hell else happens. Her okay, so then the plot of the movie happens in like the last 20 minutes. Because what happens at the end is they get back. The prince wants to marry her. He comes back. He's like, uh, to his uncle, he's like, I used to be a boy and just a person that you could push around. But now I'm going to be king and I'm going to marry this woman. And she's going to tell me how to run my kingdom. And it will be much better than your politics, uncle. (laughs) And the uncle's like, absolutely not. I love power. First, he plots to have ella kill because he everybody it's really easy for people to figure out that ella is forced to obey anyone so in a truly heinous scene uh he makes her do like an awkward dance routine and then tells her that she's got to kill the love of her life this dumb prince at midnight so so ella's ella's no dummy at this point she's figured things out so she's like all right i'm gonna lock myself through a tree and make it so that I don't I don't kill this dude because if I can make it past midnight, then you'll be safe, which Eric Idle kindly tells us in an aside, just in case we weren't following at this point. She's locked to a tree. She tells Slan and go get the dwarves and the elves and all of the fair folk and invade the castle because I don't know why, but maybe the prince is going to get hurt. And Slannon comes up with like six people. Like it's, I'm like, you're not gonna invade, yeah. <laughs> He's like, I got my girlfriend and her boyfriend and the four other elves <laughs> that I did a dance routine with earlier in this movie. There's also all this uncle stuff. I mean, it's obviously from Hamlet, and it's yeah. not from the book, which is interesting. He's not in the book. 
He's my favorite part. I love <laughs> Carrie Ellis. I love when actors get to play characters that are like not like there's there's no nuance there. He's just evil. Like that's we're on like we're not like there's no other like motive or anything. Like we're just evil and we're just going to be evil and also we're going to have like a talking snake that like <laughs> It maybe is the mastermind, but also maybe is not. I can't figure out what their relationship is. The problem with the snake thing, too, is that it's completely directly cribbed from the Robin Hood from the 60s where they're foxes. The snake is like the king's advisor in that when it's uh, Prince John is a lion. Another, It's another callback mm-hmm. to that as well. This movie is just other movies. <laughs> my favorite scene in the whole movie, my favorite moment, is when the uncle introduces the snake to Ella. <laughs> the snake just says, hey. Well, it's also Gary Ella's clearly having just a great time. Yeah. The prince is like, my uncle must be trustworthy, right? <laughs> and then you see him and he's wearing red and black. He has a goatee. <laughs> he talks he's to his snake. He's literally twisting his mustache all the time. <laughs> He has this scepter that is, well, A, is just so obviously fake. It just has his initial on it. just an E. I'm like, this is not a thing that, like, a healthy person carries around. <laughs> I don't know. Eventually, she, as she's there, she's locked up. She's outside the tree. Her fairy godmother appears to her, the one that she's been looking for the whole time. And is like, actually, you can do whatever you want. I never said anything, which is just not true. Which is just not the case. Like, she literally did put a blessing on this child that made her so that she could only ever... I mean, I don't know. It was supposed to be uplifting, but it's really just a non-scene. She's like, I didn't do that. I can't help you. Sorry. Then she's like, I will, however, free you, which is exactly what you don't want, and fit you out in a nice dress so you can go back to the ball. So that's pretty cool. She goes back to the ball. She's got a knife. She's going to do it. I don't know why she didn't just like throw the knife away while she was outside or like get what's his nut, the little elf dude to run off with the knife or something. But she's back. She's at the castle. She's like, oh, Prince Char, Prince Char, like, I love you, but I can't be with you. I got to go away. And he's like, no, let's go be alone in a room together somewhere. (laughs) This couldn't possibly go wrong. She's about to kill him. Okay. She's about to stab him right in the neck. And honestly, we've watched so many Scream movies at this point that I was like, it's about to happen. Like, we're about to see full-scale evisceration. You know, honestly, I was like, okay, some real action is about to happen in this film. And then she looks in the mirror. There is some real action. We have an entire secret. Yeah, but that that wasn't... That hadn't happened yet when, when I was thinking this. So... They're, they're up there and she looks in the mirror and she sees herself. She, she tells herself not to do it. And then she's the spell is broken. She breaks herself free. But of course, the machinations of evil Curiel is not to be underestimated. She jumps out and says, aha, you were trying to kill him the whole time. Has her arrested. And then Slannon and the fairy gang have to go on like a bonkers rescue mission to bust her out of jail so that she can come and stop the uncle from poisoning the prince at the coronation right as that happens the red guard appears they fight the ninja badass red guard both of them kick ass in this fight it's pretty awesome i mean they really do Mm -hmm. a pretty i mean it's like a pretty great fight sequence it it totally kicks especially for like how silly it is 
is it's pretty good. Well, it's also just weird because it's like again, like you said, like there's not any action before that scene. Yeah. But then there is just an entire action theme at the end of this movie. <laughs> yeah. And then the king puts the poison crown on his own head in that classic Disney villain must kill himself type thing. And then is even shown later to have survived being poisoned, which what's what's the point, honestly? But And then it ends with a big musical number. Everybody goes home happy. We have all of the different couples. We've got Mandy, I think is her name. Mandy and her man, the book dude. We've got little Slannon and big Heidi Klum. And we've got Prince Charming and Ella together. And of course, at the very end, she gets one back over on that mean, ugly stepsister of hers. And they all live happily ever after. Except the stepsisters who suck and are stupid. And they don't (laughs) deserve to be happy. The end. Uh, The actress who plays Hattie, one of the stepsisters, plays that same stepsister in Into the Woods. No, no way. Movie, and, and, uh, the movie musical. No, she plays it. She plays the evil stepsister in like three different movies because she's also the evil <laughs> stepsister in uh, a Cinderella story. No way. Oh, wow! Tight cast, huh? I think it's a great role. She seems to be having like a fun time. Like you just can be campy. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> that um, brief synopsis, <laughs> Callie. Would you say Ella Enchanted is a flop or a bop? Bop. I love this movie. It's so fun. Emmett, flop or bop? God, this is a hard question. This movie is to 2004 what X-Men Apocalypse is to whatever year X-Men Apocalypse came out in. So I am under I am under contractual obligation to say that this movie is a 10-star <laughs> masterpiece. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a bop. I really was hating it for the first 40 minutes. And then I was like, okay, on the middle of it. And then the last 25 minutes really won me over, I would say. Wade, flopper bop. I would say a bop too. It was such a surprise for me. Because <laughs> I really know, I didn't even know it was Cinderella when I started. Oh, uh-huh. That's like one of the parts that I find to be a really baffling part of this movie. Because like, why is it Cinderella? <laughs> yeah because they don't really do the story per se i feel like the most relevant part of cinderella is the glass slipper and there is no mention of a glass slipper anywhere in this she steals them she steals the glass slippers for her stepsisters and you might be like wow i bet that comes up later then it does not The book, from what I read, is even more convoluted with the Cinderella stuff, because I believe I read in the book there are two different evil stepmoms. Like, he marries the first evil stepmom with the stepsisters, and then they, like, go off to boarding school, and then later they get divorced and he remarries again another evil stepmom. He has bad taste. I kind of like that in this one he's just like, look, I'm broke. I need to marry someone. He's very upfront with her about it. But but to my point, or what I was saying about being surprised, like I normally historically don't really like Cinderella tales because I just don't like watching people be mean for so long. Mm-hmm. Like so much of the Cinderella story is just the stepsisters being mean, which I always find just like not interesting to watch. And and I also don't always like fantasy stuff that much, but I was like into this. And I would say kind of, I wasn't ever like not into it, but there was like some parts I was a little bored by in the first half 
um, and some stuff that was interesting and weird. And then like, because the third act just goes crazy, goes stupid. So wonderfully, <laughs> it was like a hundred percent in by the end. Do the powers, how did the powers? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is definitely like a, a movie that is big on implications that they never talk about. Cause like, can Ella bid physics? Cause at one point they're like freeze and then she just uh-huh. freezes in the air. And I'm like, I feel like maybe Ella's like actually like super powerful if she could just get someone to be like solve the political crisis in your country, and then she would do it, right? Like I feel like there's like a lot of power here that's not being used mm. very well. Well, you can tell her to do something impossible, and she would do it. She obviously can yeah. because we saw her freeze in midair. So, yeah. <laughs> And then also, I don't understand how it's only her stepsister that figures out that she has to do everything she's supposed to do. I feel like it's like pretty obvious. And I don't know how I necessarily feel about the mom being like, don't tell anyone ever. Oh, I think it, I think the mom was secretly really cool in that I think if your mm. daughter has no chance, like has to be forced to obey her, you, then you like never tell her to do anything. Like <laughs> anything is cruel at that point because she has no free will. And like, I feel like it would have been helpful to tell like her dad or her best friend. Like, I think that would have yeah, that know, been. helped the situation. I think it also says a lot about their marriage that she didn't want her to tell her dad. Damn. I thought at first that it was two moms because we are presented with two moms at the beginning and then they're like no there's a dad who's doing like the how are we going to pay for the bills scene in the next room who's circling like Atticus accounted or whatever he does yeah the philosophical implication of do everything you're told is really interesting. And I think one of the things this movie illustrates well is how careless people are with ordering people to do things. Hmm. Or like you say something and it it's like not a request. It's a, it's a demand. Even if you, you're saying it, you mean it as a request, kind of, but you're stating it as a demand. And if somebody was literally bound by your word to do as you told them to do, that would that would be problematic. Uh, I think that part of it is really awesome. Yeah, well, I think it takes a really hard line against figurative language. Is what mm. happens. <laughs> like, he says hop to it, and then she has to hop. And it's like most of the stuff Ella gets like, ordered to do are just like figures of speech. Yeah. Like Grand Baron mm. or whatever. So silly. I think there's also a pretty cool almost asking for consent scene with her and the prince's first kiss where he's like, kiss me. And she obviously wants to, but then he's like, but you don't have to. He like takes it back and is like checking in. And then she's like, I do want to. And a pretty saucy scene for a kid's movie, I've got to say. I thought they had good chemistry, uh, Anne Hathaway and Hugh Nancy. Yeah, I think they're both really good. And I think that his like appeal has only increased since Harry Styles has been a thing. Since he looks and acts so much like Harry Styles in this movie, Uh that it is like retroactively improved it. You know, I thought after we watched The Hustle that we would never talk about Anne Hathaway again on this podcast. But I guess Anne Hathaway. (laughs) She is really good in this, too. I feel like she is 
tasked with something that is like at times quite silly and manages to do it in a pretty believable sort of way throughout even when like it does get it like veers into the grotesque with like the grin and merit and hop to it sort of nonsense towards the end there yeah i think she's really good it's such a good role for her even though i feel like it may be contributed to what we talked about last time we talked to her about like people's perception of her as this like like try hard people pleasing sort of person but it was also interesting to me that looking at her filmography like this and princess diaries 2 came out in the same year Mm -hmm. and those are like the end of her sort of family friendly roles like the year after this she does havoc and brokeback mountain in the same year so this is sort of like the end of her kids era Hmm. movies and she's like pretty young here. She's like twenty one or twenty two or something. Yeah, twenty two. Yes, and this movie was also filmed way before it was released. Oh. So I think she was like twenty when they filmed it. That makes some sense. Um, it was filmed almost two years before it got, or over two years before it got released. Wow. Why? Some of that is behind the scenes stuff that was always happening with Harvey Weinstein. Unfortunately, that he was like very particular about when movies got released. And there was a thing with that, with this movie where it got, it was like a summer movie in the States, but then it was a Christmas movie overseas. And they were like particular about that. But my guess is also it was filmed so much earlier because there's so much special effects Mm -hmm. and it just took forever. I read that it took like seven months for them just to make the opening shot of the movie. We haven't even talked about her Kindle 1.0 that she has. (laughs) With the book. Yeah, like that it can show anything, basically, except the things that would be convenient to the plot for it not to be able to show. <laughs> I thought it was a fun take on the, like, crystal ball type of, um, yeah. you know, trope. Respectfully, you can tell that there are five writers on this movie. Because <laughs> there are lots of good ideas, but there isn't really a structure, like... It is just like this movie is like 15 scenes that are kind of strung together. And they all have the same likable person in them. I also really like at the end when they're just like, I guess we'll just, we're just, we have to go to the castle now. She doesn't actually get any useful information like from the cat. Like when they go to the castle and she has to go to the room of records, like she, she figures out where Lucinda is from her little book friend. Right. But it is like a very odd turn that the story kind of makes. Yeah, all of the Lucinda stuff is so weird. The thing I like about Lucinda is I think it's a a cool choice and like a a strong choice to like just make her like she's not she's never going to like give her like she thinks it was a good thing that she did. And I think that's an interesting choice of like she also thinks this is like, you know, she did a good thing here. And I think that's a cool character choice that they make. I agree. And she won't take it back because she's, she still thinks it's a good thing. You're also, you're just like, what type of person thinks this is a good thing? This is so clearly awful. Yeah. Which is a thing I think that like is a strong point of the movie is that the stakes are really high and really, um, well, the stakes are high and that like, you know, being forced to do everything you're told to do is like such like an awful thing, right? Like, and like a very clearly awful thing. And I think it makes you very sympathetic toward Ella just kind of the whole way. Cause it's like, yeah, this is an awful thing. And I don't even need to like think too hard about why that would be an awful thing. And it makes her even more compelling than the normal Cinderella sort of myth, which is just the like, she's perfect and has the worst life in the world. 
Yeah, which is, again, why is this Cinderella? <laughs> There also is no indication that anyone else is being given a gift as a child. That was the thing that I, I'm, and maybe this is a thing that happened in the book, or maybe this is just a thing that I like made up or something. But I thought that was why Eric Idle was rhyming the whole time was because someone gave him like a gift where he had to rhyme the whole time. Huh. And he could only speak in rhyme. That is some cool. interesting. That's, that would be an interesting world element. And they say that, like, Lucinda has gives the worst gifts, but, like, who else is getting gifts? Who else is giving gifts? Yeah. Something else I don't like here or in fantasy very much mm-hmm. is, like, the race metaphor when people are doing, like, race subtext with different species in a fantasy world. And I think there's a lot of that here, which in some ways I think is... Like, it's cool that they're showing kids, like, Ella is clearly has an anti-cap sort of attitude and is, like, protesting at the parade and stuff. But then, like, when her friend is, like, the only person of color in the movie and she has to tell her, like, we won't be friends with your species or whatever. Yeah, it does not go over well at all. (laughs) It's extremely discrimination for white people is kind of what a lot of it feels like. Mm. Yeah, and I just feel like it's always ill-advised to be, like, compare sort of a species in a fantasy world when you're like, some groups of people are humans, and some groups of people are orcs, or trolls, or ogres, or goblins, like... Yeah, your your implications there are, are, are really bad. I would say, though, as far as, like, the fine wine, the what has aged well and what has aged poorly... That's sort of the only thing I don't like in this movie. I don't know if you guys can think of anything else, but I feel like pretty much everything has aged really well for a 2004 movie. Well, again, I think it looks pretty good. Like when I was watching it, at no point was I like, this looks like the early, you know, this looks at the early 2000s or like this looks particularly um, fake in a way it's distracting. It's like, yeah, this worked for me. Like when they did the whole scene with the giants and then it's like clearly like they're like, it's a green screen, right? Mm -hmm. But like the proportions, you know, I think that it's pretty well done. It reminds me a little bit of of Princess Bride in that it's like kind of a spoof on the fantasy genre. But I think where that movie like digs into these specific absurd characters and like makes you love each individual character in a very strong sort of way and like show them in a fantasy world. This is just like, well, it's a fantasy world and doesn't go any deeper on any of the characters except for, except for Anne Hathaway's character. So it doesn't feel either as real or as funny to me. That's kind of a thought that I was having as Wade, you were saying that thing about fantasy. And I think what fails often in fantasy is it either is too self-serious or too silly. And Princess Bride like strikes that balance, I think, almost perfectly in a way that few do. To be able to be like a fun adventure and not like a serious high fantasy like Lord of the Rings, which I think is good in its own way, but is also obviously not this. But like if Princess Bride is the ex- example of the perfect thing and Shrek is maybe like a near second to the perfect thing of what this fantasy spoof could be, this is like kind of falling mm-hmm. short of those a little the Shrek elements, the like irreverent sort of tone Mm -hmm. was partially from Anne Hathaway who said that after doing Princess Diaries, Mm -hmm. she didn't want to do another sort of straight laced, very traditional feeling Mm -hmm. princess role. And and she even said, I think that first draft was like much more like the book and much more sort of traditional princessy 
And then I think they brought Nicole and Smith on to like punch it up and make it funnier and sillier and weirder. Check mark on the third one for sure. <laughs> to uh, Kelly's point about it looking good, I think that it like really looks great. Like I was shocked. I think it's also because this is still early enough that like they can't afford to have everything be CGI. Mm-hmm. So there is like such a mix of different visual effects in a way that really works. The snake is obviously CGI and he looks shockingly good. But then like the opening shot, which is like this incredible camera shot, it's just a bunch of miniatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you were saying, they're doing some weird like size stuff with like the giants And then you've got the ogres who are just like plastic, giant plastic costumes that people Mm -hmm. are wearing. So it's weird, but I feel like it holds up so much better than a kid's movie today will in 15 plus years Mm -hmm. because of like the mix of styles they're using. They also do a couple of like cool camera tricks in terms of they will like, you know, do some overhead shots where they pull back and it like when they're in the library and they pull up Mm -hmm. or they do that like also at one point in the forest and it does a really good job of um you know giving it a sense of like depth Mm. and also it looks cool i think it looks great and i feel like that's part of the like fun appeal of this Mm -hmm. my favorite moment in the film though is when and it's like her mom gets batox instead of botox (laughs) i forgot about that (laughs) but then they just cut to like it's just one shot of her like afterwards where her her face is you know so spread out and it's so it's so funny looking and also spooky yeah exactly but it's also it's like they don't ever really go back and return to her it's just like a reaction image and uh, it looks really good and really funny. I I did read also that there were some um, some scenes that they wrote and filmed that got cut for being too scary for oh, wow. a kids' movie. So I'm curious. And I also read there were some scenes that were cut for being too flirty for a kids' movie. Damn. So... Ruby unedited. Ella enchanted. Yes. <laughs> Give us the PG-13 cut. I would like the three-hour-long Ella enchanted. Uh, director's cut thank you give us the denny villeneuve ellen chanted <laughs> can you imagine if he did ellen chanted it would be messed up <laughs> she'd be doing horrible things in shot one she'd be doing horrible things to somebody <laughs> at edgar's it behest with a carriage crash it would it would start with her mom dying in a carriage crash oh something i just feel like uh the metaphor is like very good for a kid's movie. Yeah. I think especially for girls, because like as a society, we do expect like teach little girls to be more obedient than I think little boys are taught to be. And then like when you grow up, you have to unlearn. You like really do have to be like, it's okay to not do everything everyone tells me or I will not survive as a human. So I think like in this little kid's movie that like, the climax really is just like her looking at herself in the mirror and being like, I don't have to do something evil that someone wants me to do that I don't want to do. This is like a powerful lesson, I feel. Again, with uh, the stakes, I think that like is also part of it. Like for, cause it is for kids. Like I think that is much like a higher thing of like, you know, what if you had to do everything that you're told to do? And when you're a kid and you know, like you are under your, you know, your guardians, like, uh, control like you do kind of, like to a certain extent like have to be do everything that they say so it's kind of taking that like fear and like legitimizing it in a way that i think is really smart and works really well 
Yeah. You can very easily like go too far with this concept, but I think the movie like treads the line exactly right for a kid's movie. So Yeah, most of the stuff that she gets told to do is just again weird figurative speech stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like dance moves or karate. <laughs> yeah, people really like making her dance. <laughs> what or what they tell her to do is put a little soul on it while she's singing. That's also my favorite part is when there's like, you know, she's doing that whole saying and then they cut to the like the giant and he's just like observing it like, yeah, I did a good thing here. (laughs) I love in that scene that the crowd is basically like like a Just Dance instructor (laughs) where they're like, now sing louder. Now give it a little soul. Now dance. (laughs) Now break it down. I'm also I'm like. You didn't, you didn't need any... Why did you need her to, like, sing for you? Like, you guys have got it, like, going on for yourself. Like, you don't need this person. You can entertain yourself. Like, you clearly have this whole thing, like, choreographed already. Also, there's, like, the moment at the end where she's dancing with the prince. And this is before Slannon has met giant Heidi Klum. So he's just sitting there watching them, also on the little stage with him like this, just like watching, being like, yeah, that is romantic. Yeah, I thought when they first picked up Slannon, I thought that he was going to be, you know, like he was also going to like be in love with her. Mm. My first thought. Yeah, I definitely got those vibes too. But lots of things that could happen in this movie (laughs) that don't. It really took me off guard that they got married at the end <laughs> like the, the i don't know the like i was like oh they're gonna date that's cute and then he was like i'm gonna propose and i was like whoa you guys you need to slow down you've known her for like a week maybe but he knows that she's not like other girls that's what he tells her yeah she has to do everything she's told <laughs> you're not like other girls other girls just don't jump around when i tell them to no, I think it's because he really needs um, somebody with some amount of political prowess to run the country for him. And now his uncle is gone. He doesn't know what else to do. He really is so dumb. I think that he's like genuinely very good in this. But yeah. like, the scene where he's like, Uncle Eric couldn't know about this. Could he? He's like, I don't know. Ask his talking snake. <laughs> <laughs> Who is played by uh, Steve Coogan, by the way. Just fun, fun note. The snake Heston played oh, by Steve Coogan. I also like when they're getting married and the Pope is marrying them. <laughs> That's something I like a lot. I did think I think it's a nice payoff that the snake ends up, you know, presumably dying because he tries to kill the prince, and then all the fangirls are like, "You tried to kill the prince and trample him." I especially, out of this movie, love the line, Ladies, quit tonguing the foyer. (laughs) I especially love Slannon's line when Ella asks him to tie him up. And he says, you are one freaky chick. And she's like tied to a tree. (laughs) In the middle of a field. to a tree in the middle of a field. Bonkers. Bonkers. This movie is nuts. Full 100% endorsement. I mean, I think it also helps that it is an hour and a half. So it's, you know, the pacing's pretty, I think the pacing works pretty well. I think that helps all of these McCullough and Smith movies. Like, yeah. Yeah. especially since they're, they're comedies and they're so like light and fun. 
Mm-hmm. I, you just can't stretch it out to like two hours, 15 minutes. I think it is fun to see them like after the last two, which are kind of like teen movies, maybe to see them like tackle a full on movie for kids. Mm hmm. Did you have any thoughts, Emmett, about like what of their other work you see in this or like how they adapt to this? I saw a lot of the um, Patrick-Kate or Patrick-Cat relationship from uh, 10 Things I Hate About You in kind of the hmm. her and the prince's back and forth. But it's way more one-sided in this movie because she is way smarter than he is. <laughs> Because at least with Patrick, like, Patrick is charming and clever, too. And, like, that feels equally matched there. And I don't think it feels as equally matched. But I do see that same kind of dynamic. I think plot-wise, it's clunkier than the other two. Like, a lot clunkier structurally than the other two are. So that does lead me to think that maybe the other, some of the other writers had more to do with the structure. And they were just there for jokes or scene writing, maybe. It feels to me like quite possibly her anti-capitalist angle, like her little speech about how the workers are being exploited probably came from McCullough and Smith, because that sounds a lot like Kat from 10 Things I Hate About You. I think they probably also wrote the part where he re- he wanted to be a lawyer. Oh, they yeah. Wrote another movie <laughs> where someone wants to be a lawyer. Oh, yeah, yeah. That- yeah, they put all those little phrases they learned to use with Slammin' where he just throws them aside. Oh, yeah. I wish we should have gotten a scene of him like trying Uncle Eric at the end and that throwing him in fun. jail. I like that in general in each of these movies, they're sort of like, you will know someone is the one for you when you guys have a really good banter together. Mm-hmm. That's a sort of like the chemistry test in all of these movies is like when, you know, when you can argue with someone and flirt with someone and talk with someone like forever then. Yeah. I really like the like horse chase that they have kind of in the middle where it's just like, you know, they're, they're fighting Um, and then they like raise off and he's like, it's just though like a couple, like, you know, like a minute or two of them just on horses, like him chasing after her. I'm like, yeah, seems cool. And in that part too, there's like a, like this big far away shot where they're like clearly in front of like a matte painting of like the ocean and the sunset. And then it like switches to close up and you can see that they're like really on a beach. And that's just like mixing all of this, the effects things too, which is really cool, which you wouldn't see today. I definitely think that it sets up like the like kind of ramp up to their relationship is really good, right? Like we have like them like having some nice banter And, like, you know, the, like, really great moments of, like, oh, you're different than I thought you were that, you know, are are really, you know, the, like, bread and butter of, like, that kind of romantic comedy. But then, like, I don't know, they, like, just kind of drop it. Um, They, like, drop the romantic subplot a little bit or, like, the jump between, like, them kind of, like, deciding they like one another and then, like, again, deciding to get married it's just very sudden and like there i don't know it doesn't it's it's it feels it, it's very jarring to me that sounds like when i hear about people getting married in real life then it's all <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh huh did you think about that i think we're a few years off still in kids movies from them being like Maybe marrying someone you just met is a bad idea. Well, also, because I, I don't know, I forgot. I was like, how old are you supposed to be? Because I thought she uh, was 16 or 17, right? Yeah. And then, but it was 
different back in the day in merry old England or Frell or wherever the hell it was. Right, but I'm watching this from 2021. Right, right. It seems like she's still in high school at the beginning because she's like in debate class. Because she's literally in high school. (laughs) Yeah. I think Anne Hathaway like contributes in some way to that age confusion because like sometimes she does seem much older and then sometimes she's playing it like very young but she was i mean she was 20 years old when she filmed this so it's not like she's a little kid but then it's sometimes being played as a little kid and sometimes not and the protagonist in the book is definitely like 12 or something oh well all right well let's move on to mvp where we each pick our own favorite character in this movie i'm going to take off ella and prince char so other than Ella and Prince Char, who was everyone's favorite character, Callie, you have first pick. Uh, Carrie Ellis. Carrie Ellis, I think, is so fun and so weird in this movie. And again, is just being evil and nothing else is happening with his character. <laughs> I love him. Yeah, he's really good. He's so much fun. I feel like Emmett and I were talking about this, that he's maybe in like an awkward middle stage of his career in this movie because uh, I can't tell if it's that or if he just they just like made him truly look like a villain for this movie but in like Stranger Things and in recent things I feel like he's so hot again and in Princess Bride he's so hot he's in uh, the third season of Stranger Things he's the mayor what really (laughs) yeah that's crazy and he's great in it and when I saw that I was like why is this dude not in everything no, I mean I've seen I've seen the third season of Stranger Things like three or four times. I don't know how I missed that. Uh, I think it's like his nose broken by David Harbour. What an honor, uh, Emmett. Who's your MVP? This is like truly hard. This is a truly hard question because there's so many just like weird little things in this movie, just like weird moments from people. I think I'm going to go with weird book boy because when he comes out of the book, I'm like, you look strangely unproportional, but you still look like a book man for some reason. And he's just always there <laughs> like a second rate version of the mirror in Shrek. I just also their relationship. I'm like, why would you? I just feel like you should leave her if she turns you into a book and then like tries to like leave you on a shelf for you know 10 years or whatever. Why did she turn him into a book in the first place? Just by accident? Yeah, she was trying to give him a haircut. That's really embarrassing. And now he's been stuck in a book for several several years. He comes out, he still needs a haircut. And he <laughs> <laughs> and he's probably going to leave her immediately after the title sequence. <laughs> As he should, quite yeah. honestly. Yeah. I read a quote from that actor I Jimmy Mystery is the actor and he's a British actor. And I read some quote for an interview for this movie where they were like, how did you feel about playing a book? And he was like, it was a lot of fun to play an American character. (laughs) I really like doing the American accent. (laughs) Wow. My MVP, uh, this is also very hard because there are so many like one scene characters in this movie. But I think I'm going to go with the snake with Aston. <laughs> Just very funny. I mean, what can you say? He says, hey, so I love him. He's like there and like, you know, imposing in several scenes, but he never really does anything. No. 
Like he finds out that they're dating, but like I think that that also could have happened when he showed up to the palace with her. So <laughs> there's also that awesome scene because you don't know that the snake has been watching them the whole time. The snake pops his head out of the saddlebag and says, "I was watching the whole time," and then tucks his head back in because otherwise. You would have had no idea that he was there at all because it was never. I mean, that is just lazy writing. Yeah, but then they drop something on him. So it's funny. So it's funny. Okay. Okay. Final thoughts. Does anyone have any final thoughts on Ella Enchanted before we uh, play a little quiz here at the end, which I'm very excited about? Um, I mean, I was really happy with how well uh, this movie held up in terms of this was, again, this was a movie I watched like a lot as a kid and I really liked it a lot as a kid. Um, and then I, I mean, when I watched it yesterday, I also like, you know, I enjoyed it about as much as I did when I was a kid. Like, I think it is, it is silly and it is fine, but it is like very fast paced and you definitely feel a lot for Ella and I had a great time. Emmett, final thoughts? Yeah, I would agree that I I think it, despite the silliness, um, I think the last that like the emotional climax of the film really works. Her about to stab him and then telling herself not to is like very powerful, and I agree with Wade also that it's like a really cool metaphor. So yeah, watch it if you have young siblings or young cousins or something. Put it on, watch it with them. They'll probably get a kick out of it too. Be like, this is what movies were like back in the day. <laughs> Wade, final thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I just really liked it. And I would encourage like anyone to check it out now because it is so weird and there's so much going on in like the most exciting of ways. And I think it's really grounded by that Anne Hathaway performance too. It's very much like a maximalist movie, like not a minimalist. Like it is, there's a lot happening all the time. And I'm having one more final thought about this, that everybody better buckle up because our generation, the early 2000s are the 1980s of our generation. And like, that is what there's going to be a massive wave of nostalgia for in like another 10 to 15 (laughs) years. Like, this stuff is going to come back with a vengeance, and, like, everyone's going to think it's the coolest thing ever. So just get ready, older millennials. uh, You can start whining about it now, honestly, if you'd like to. Uh, You can tell us about how movies sucked and that the last good movie was made in 1986 or whatever. But we know the real truth here. So early 2000s, making a comeback. (laughs) I'm predicting it now. Yeah, maybe we'll finally get... The Red Guard solo movie that we all, <laughs> that we deserve. I think it just came out with Ryan Reynolds and The Rock in it. Do <laughs> <laughs> you think that's the prequel to them becoming the Red Guard in this movie? I, I believe it is. Based on its letterbox reviews alone, I believe that that is the case. It ends with them getting butterfly kicked by Anne Hathaway, and that's the end of the movie. It wouldn't be the first time, I think, for either of them. Okay, well, now is our favorite time of the episode where we play Bums the Word, our quiz game. I have here today six movies that I'll be giving hints about, and we'll see who can guess them. Whoever guesses them first gets the point. The theme connecting all six of these movies is 2000s kids fantasy. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I truly dive deep into the depths to find these movies. So 
<laughs> we'll see how it goes. Movie number one. This is a 2006 fantasy film based on a novel from 2002. This is a much more straightforward sort of serious fantasy. Takes place in a high fantasy dragon sort of world. Aragon. Yes. <laughs> it is Aragon. A movie that I hope someday we have the chance to rip to shreds on this podcast. Because <laughs> oh I'm God, still so angry bad. about it. I am still angry about the character assassination that was committed in that film. Paulini, I am here for you. <laughs> I'm still mad about the way that series ended. Oh, really? Yeah, it was awful. I called it quits after two. I only read the first two. I could not believe that he... I know that Emma loves these books, but that this man just straight up ripped off Star Wars to such an insane degree. He truly did. He really did. I was just eating it up because I was like, I like Star Wars and I like dragons, and this has both. Yeah, I was I was very in there. Everyone at the time was like, look, he wrote it when he was 16. And it's like, well, I could also probably rewrite a movie I loved when I was 16. He didn't really come up with the story, per se. So anticlimactic. I was so upset at the end of it. Oh, I really like the way that it ends. But I think it's so dumb that he just finds all of the freaking dragon souls or whatever. Or he learns his name. I think that's such a dumb plot point. Oh, I don't remember that part. I just remember that they, like, destroy the... How they destroy the villain in that, and it's pretty badass. My favorite part is when they go and hunt down the Rasak in the third one. Yeah. The coolest. Cool. The coolest part. I really like when they have just the city. I like the subplot with his, with his brother when they're yeah. just, we're going to be a city and we're going to walk around. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the part where he starts to stray from his star wars roots but way to be fair george lucas didn't write star wars either he read dune and then made a movie <laughs> i am like halfway through dune as we speak Very oh, what do you think it's really fun i'm having a good time uh okay movie number two is a 2005 movie uh also based on a book this is the first movie in a series this movie got sequels, although it's not based on the first book in the series. Is this the Chronicles of Narnia? Yes. Well, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes, it is. I think Emmett did that one. Yeah, that is a point for Emmett. Yes, I didn't want to say based on the 1950 novel because I felt like that gave it away a little bit. Point of reference. The books are published... Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is the first book in the series published order. Yes, that is true. That movie is great. I feel like that movie holds up. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I loved it when I was a kid. I bet the first one holds up and neither of the others, the other two. I think they made two others. And I don't, I bet neither of the other two hold up, but I bet the first one does. And isn't that Tilda Swinton as the White Witch in that? Uh, and James McAvoy as Mr. Tumnus. Oh my God. And the guy from Aragon, Peter. Oh. Huh. Oh, really? Yeah. That was like, because he did the Chronicles of Narnia, and then he did Aragon, and I don't think he had too much of a career after that, but I don't, I'm not going to pretend as though I like have kept tabs on him. That movie was very much them being like, how do we get some of that Lord of the Rings money? But one of the better examples to come from it, I would say. Okay. Movie number three is a 2000 movie on the dot it is not adapted from a book but from a game there is only one movie made to not get any sequels 
Souls. Is it a Final Fantasy movie? No, but you've got uh, kind of an all... Well, there are some people in this. Marlon Wayans is in this. Jeremy Irons is playing the bad guy in this movie. Is this a live action film? This is a live action. These are all live action. Okay. Okay. This is kind of a famous failure. Oh, gosh. Critically, box office and fans of the game were all very disappointed in this movie. Isn't it like the one where it's very like sexualized? Maybe, but you you guys would both remember the name of this movie. It's the same name as the game. The issue may in fact be not knowing that this movie was made rather than not knowing the game. Okay, okay. But do we know the game probably? You both know the game. You might be thinking about the wrong type of game. Is it a computer game? Oh, um... uh, Jumanji? No. Battlestar? No. Not Battlestar. Battleship. (laughs) Battleship is closer. This is a fantasy... A fantasy movie. Castle? No. Candyland? No. A fantasy game based on... Fantasy. This is a very geeky game. It's been around for generations and generations. Is there a Dungeons and Dragons movie? Yes, Emmett. There is a Dungeons and Dragons movie. Unbelievable. (laughs) Is it called Dungeons and Dragons the movie? It's called Dungeons and Dragons is what it is called. Oh my God. Are they making another Dungeons and Dragons movie? Like soon? Yeah, I remember hearing... It's like Chris Pine is in it. Yes, they're making one now with Chris Pine and the guy from Bridgerton. Oh, and Michelle Rodriguez. But they made one already? Yes, in 2000, this movie came out. Justin Whalen as the lead, Jeremy Irons as the bad guy, and it was um, not beloved. Wow. Well, there we go. Uh, Film number four. (laughs) Film number four is a 2008 fantasy film. Um, adapted from a book, a whole book series. This one, let me see. It looks like this was, in fact, positively received in terms of making money and getting critical reviews, but it did not get any sequels. The Spiderwick Chronicles. Yes. No way. <laughs> Damn, you're so good at this. That was really good. That was a pull. Did you read all of those? Yeah. What'd you think of that, the ending of that series? I don't remember. I was young. I remember I liked them, but that's about all of my like knowledge of that. I think at the end they're fighting a shapeshifter and they trick him into turning into a bird. And then that voracious little hobgoblin they always have around eats him. And that's the end. Uh, no notes. Excellent. <laughs> I had a feeling this might be the right crowd for this quiz. <laughs> I'm glad that it has been true so far. Okay, right now the score is tied and we have two more to go. Ooh. Film number five is also a 2008 fantasy film also adapted from a novel this is a novel that we had to read in school the giver no <laughs> i just read it in school but that's maybe not helpful because i don't think there's anything educationally important about it <laughs> it was just one that we read hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy no that would be great if you read that at school i'm reading that this movie was written by david Lindsay bear the playwright oh. uh, but it's based off a book by a woman and the book came out in 2003 and is the first in a trilogy. The The movie is kind of about a father-daughter relationship. And it's one of the ones that like mixes some modern stuff with some fantasy stuff. Inkheart. Yes. Ooh. Oh, I, 
that was my favorite book for a long time. Uh huh. I remember really liking the book. Yeah, it was great. And what's his name was in that movie? Uh, the Mummy. Brendan, Brendan Fraser. 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 Yeah. Fraser. Dad. Paul Bettany is in it too. Apparently. Actually, this is a crazy cast. Helen Mirren, Andy Serkis. It wasn't a great movie, if I remember. Andy mm. Serkis is playing the villain, and Paul Bettany is playing whatever Dustfinger, I think, is his name. Okay, we have one final film. So I meant you have the chance to tie it up here. Okay, okay. This one seemed to me to be the most obscure of any of these, but you've made short work with them so far, so maybe not the case. But this is a 2007 film, adapted from a book, but much like the Chronicles of Narnia, this is the first movie, but not the first book in the series. And the book is also not named the same thing as the movie. This is one that takes place like full on in a fantasy world. It's sort of about, you know, a kid in a fantasy world learning that he's special and he can go fight things. Harry Potter. No. Shark Boy and Lava Girl. And it's not the first in the series? There are five books in the series. Uh And this movie is adapted from the second book, but is the only movie ever made in this series. It was uh, a big flop. You said it was, this is a fantasy, right? Yep. Yeah, these are all fantasy. Was it Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief? No. Because they did make a sequel to that, unfortunately, didn't they? (laughs) Is it one of those Maximum Ride books? No, though I remember really liking those books as a kid. Was it in... A pin dragon book. No. Okay. I'm just going through. Artemis Fowl. <laughs> no. no. Maybe a little closer. Damn. The books were written uh, by a British author and she wrote them in the 60s and 70s. Oh, is it Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne Jones? No. Damn. That's a good call, though. Yeah, that was a good guess. I don't know how much more I could truly say hint about this. Is it a a Wizard of Earthsea? No. Okay. It seems like no one is close to getting it. So I'm going to tell you the name of the book series, which is not the name of this movie. Okay. The book series is called The Dark is Rising. Oh. Is it... uh, I wasn't allowed to read this book. Oh. Uh, Are you thinking of The Golden Compass? Yeah. It's not The Golden Compass. I have read The Dark is Rising, and I still don't remember the name of this stupid movie. <laughs> the Dark is Rising is the name of the second book and the name of like the series. Of and one. is the name of the what and this the movie, movie is, is adapted on. from the second book. But yes. I couldn't even tell you what the name of it is. Spider-Man, turn off the dark. <laughs> the name of the movie is also a position in the fictional game of Quidditch. Oh, The Seeker? Yeah, this movie is The Seeker. Wow. Any love for The Seeker? Anyone ever? I read the book and I only read the second one, I guess. It didn't make a lot of sense. I think it was about like early Christian battle with the devil in England in the mid centuries. Mm. And if I'm incorrect, please at us. Let me know what it was actually about. I hated that. Any Seeker fans, come let us know. That was a good hit. It was one of those books where like, I had it on tape and I only had like a couple books on tape so I would listen to it a bunch and I was always just like, why am I doing this? This is so boring. Rather just listen to Harry Potter again. Well, congrats to both. Tie, a tie here at the end. So equally powerful in your 2000s live action fantasy 
kids movie knowledge i'm telling y'all it's coming back it's coming back with a vengeance well Callie, thanks so much for being here yeah it was really fun yeah thank you is there anything that you want to plug while you're here or anyone uh that people can find you no (laughs) i don't have any public social media accounts (laughs) uh cool well we are going to be back next week talking about she's the man and in 34 weeks talking about jordan peele's note stay frosted Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcast. It is created and produced by Emma Temple and me, Wade Lawrence Holloman. I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week 